Just because you aren't in critical infrastructure doesn't mean you won't be targeted. The overwhelming majority of cybersecurity breaches aren't targeted because of industry. They're just targets of opportunity. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. What's up, folks? Welcome to the first ever mini-series within Manufacturing Happy Hour. For the next four weeks, we're going to be doing a four-part cybersecurity mini-series in addition to our regularly scheduled interviews with execs and manufacturing leaders. Now, whether we're talking about manufacturing or really any other business, cybersecurity is a massive focus in today's highly connected world. In order to do this topic justice, we'll be bringing in a company that knows more than a thing or two when it comes to cybersecurity in the manufacturing sector, Rockwell Automation. Over the course of these four episodes, we'll be featuring cybersecurity experts from Rockwell to provide some actionable security advice for manufacturers. This includes cybersecurity fundamentals, best practices, and more detailed standards and recommended approaches to building a robust cybersecurity infrastructure. These conversations go beyond the technology and will ensure that you have the right people and processes in place to protect your entire manufacturing enterprise as well. Our first episode is focused on the basics, why cybersecurity matters and why it's a vital piece of a digital transformation journey. Security in this case means protecting not only data and intellectual property, but assets, workers, and the environment as well. Now that we've defined the topic for the day, what are the three things you can expect from this episode? First, we'll discuss how IT and OT are becoming more integrated. On the flip side, we'll cover the differences in security approaches to information technology and operations technology i.e. the control systems on the plant floor that are operating large industrial assets. Second, we talk about the inherent link between cybersecurity and safety. We'll discuss why equipment manufacturers and systems integrators should be just as focused on cybersecurity as those people running manufacturing plants. This gets us into some great stories as to why security should be a priority for everyone and why there's such an easy ROI to managing these type of risks. Finally, we'll wrap up with some discussion on where these threats are actually coming from. Are we talking terrorists? Are we talking insider threats? Are we talking hacktivists? Make sure to stick around until the end of the interview for the answer to that question. Now, today is going to be a high-level overview of cybersecurity, but as we get into some of the nitty-gritty of cybersecurity, particularly in the upcoming episodes, I do want to give you the heads up that this mini-series might not be for everyone, but that's okay. If you are in the manufacturing space, chances are you know someone that would be very interested in these topics. As a result, my one call to action for you as you're listening to these episodes is to forward this podcast to your IT manager or your chief information and security officer. For every topic and detail we mentioned in these episodes, you can also go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash cybersecurity for a list of all resources mentioned. And with that... Let's get into our first interview. It's time to get you introduced to our lead-off guest and my new friend, Steve Ludwig. 
right. Today, we are joined by Steve Ludwig, the program manager for safety and security at Rockwell Automation. This is episode one in our four-part cybersecurity miniseries. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. And since this is manufacturing happy hour, I always want to start things off with the appropriate context. You know, we're we're talking about cybersecurity today, but let's say we're hanging out, grabbing a, a scotch at the Iron Horse Hotel in uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and someone comes up to you and they're trying to learn a little bit about cybersecurity, and they're like, you know, Steve, I hear all about cybersecurity. I've heard about these cyber attacks on big retailers, department stores, where people are getting credit card information, but what does this have to do with the manufacturing industry? You know, if you're having this conversation with someone at a pub or the Iron Horse, what do you say to that? How do you say this is how cybersecurity applies to the manufacturing industry? Sure, it's it's really evolved over time. You know, traditionally the the IT arena and the OT arena were were very segregated when industrial control systems began. They had proprietary technology, different chipsets, different programming terminals. Uh, they weren't connected to the IT system at all. They were just there strictly to run machinery. But over time, these systems have become very integrated. Today, control systems use the same technologies as IT. They use common laptops for programming, the same ones that, uh, that we're, we're probably working on here. Um, they use common laptops. They use, uh, but the, the drive toward digital transformation is really what has made that happen, or the industrial internet of things. It's accelerated that connectivity between IT and OT. Mm -hmm. um, so today we see uh, really the best in class companies are proving the tremendous value of connected enterprise. They use that connectivity, smart devices and software. They're gaining contextualized information and, and insight into their operations. So it's helping them increase throughput and efficiencies, decrease their costs, make, make better decisions and, uh, and do a whole host of wonderful things. Now, the, the issue there and how that relates to cybersecurity is that at the same time you increase connectivity, it vastly expands the attack surface and the cybersecurity risks that go with it. So cybersecurity and risk management has to be part of digital transformation. I suppose that defining cybersecurity quickly over a drink at a bar is, is a, 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 one of the more complex topics to do. So maybe that wasn't <laughs> the, most, the most fair way to ask that question to you. But you hit on some good things. And, and probably the part of that answer that sticks out the most is the increase in the attack surface where you have more integration. Just for the folks that might not be as familiar with cybersecurity right off the bat, you mentioned ITOT integration. And this is a really important part because we're talking about information technology. IT being integrated with all the technology on the plant floor, operations technology, OT. Do you want to go into that a little bit more just to give us some definition around that and, and why this has changed and wasn't necessarily an issue in the past? Sure. In information technology is what we traditionally think of as uh, computers that we operate on every day. It's people in the front office, uh, people that are taking in credit card information and selling product and entering shipping orders and things like that. And uh, and so it's very information centric. And, and one of the interesting things about it is that if you look at most IT systems, particularly at the enterprise level, they have um, they have common operating systems and common hardware. And so it's very easy when they're, for example, going to uh, implement a patch in their system to just hit the magic patch button in IT and it sends it out to the entire enterprise in their IT system. 
And the biggest problem is that when you try to boot up your computer in the morning, you see the little spinning wheel for an extra five minutes and it's mildly irritating. When you look at, at OT or operational technologies, we're talking about control systems. And, right. and they're very um, customized systems for the application that they're, they're utilized for. And unlike IT, as plants have grown over time, they have different control systems with different operating systems. And, um, and they're, they're actually operating physical assets. And so you can't just press a magic patch button and send it out because you don't, you, you know, Equipment has been installed at different times with different operating systems and using different types of controllers. So it really has to be a much more uh, well thought out process on the plant floor. So that's just one of the areas that they that there's a little bit of a cultural clash between IT and OT. Yeah, and I love that example because I think the easy way for people to picture that differentiation and why it's so important is that like Microsoft update type example, where if you're doing that to your personal computer, you know, no big deal. But if you're doing that on the plant floor per se, that could be like shutting down equipment, for example, if you're trying to, to do a patch update like that. We were chatting a little bit about this before the interview around kind of the patch management aspect. Do you have like a story that illustrates that to maybe put this in perspective for folks that are trying to wrap their hands around this right now? Yeah, I, I think the main thing is just like what I was mentioning is you have to really think about and plan uh, how you do patch management on plant floor, because to your point, you're going to be shutting down equipment. You can't do it while equipment is running. And then there's always the the uh, possibility that when you restart that equipment, it's not going to operate quite the same because the patch might have changed something in the process. So you have to really be cautious and understand what you're doing and on what equipment and when you're doing it. So it's usually something that you have to schedule downtime along with other maintenance. And, uh, and it has to be uh, very much a part of that process. I'm going to go into a related topic here because in, in the industry right now, I serve a lot of equipment manufacturers and some systems integrators. Everything that you mentioned sounds really applicable to an end user that's manufacturing a widget, whether that's beer, whether that's an automobile. But what I'm curious about is I see some equipment manufacturers, systems integrators, people that aren't necessarily running that end-to-end operation question the importance of cybersecurity. Why would you say it's just as important for these folks to focus on it as a critical infrastructure? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting mindset because you know, when you when you build a machine, for example, and you're going to put it into a line in a plant, or maybe you're like a tier one OEM who sees yourself as not being part of critical infrastructure. So why would you be targeted for a cyber attack? Yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting process because particularly around issues like safety and security, um, I, I've made the comment before that that they're often treated as taxes. Uh, they're things you have to pay for, but you want to minimize them. They don't add capacity. So where is the real value in them? And I think that's a, a bias that allows you to turn a blind eye to the real issue. First, the value is in the information and insight that improves productivity, productivity efficiencies, flexibility, and, and the relative cost of managing those risks is pretty minimal when you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but more to the point, just because you aren't in critical infrastructure doesn't mean you won't be targeted. You may not be the target of a state-sponsored attack that costs you know millions to create, 
But everybody on this podcast has likely seen a phishing email made to look like a financial firm that asks you to use this link to confirm your personal information. Mm-hmm. And people who click on it wind up giving hackers access to information they can use to raid financial accounts or whatever. But um, the overwhelming majority of cybersecurity breaches aren't targeted because of industry. They're just targets of opportunity. Mm. Somebody sends out phishing emails to thousands of people and anybody that clicks on that link is vulnerable. And if that someone is in your organization, the entire enterprise can get hit with ransomware, for example, or an attack. So increasingly, entire supply chains are becoming integrated and you know every machine and every link in that is uh, is part of that of that chain so i love the way you phrase that in that cyber attacks are targets of opportunity not industry because going going back to what i had mentioned with companies like an equipment manufacturer or someone that's providing systems integration services they're providing a piece to that puzzle so if their piece is that weak link all of a sudden, they're part of that opportunity for a cyber attack, correct? Exactly. And I, I had a conversation with a, a customer. Actually, I was speaking at an event, and it was to an EHS group, actually. Mm-hmm. And they came to the realization or, or the, that they needed to manage risk around cybersecurity in an, in an interesting way. And they had bought a machine, or they were in the process of buying a machine, and they put some very high parameters around uptime. And the OEM came back and said, we can do that, but there's a few things that we need to do in order to meet those requirements. Um, First off, we have to be able to use the OSHA minor servicing exception for safety. So they didn't want to have to completely shut down that machine when they had to clear a jam or something like that. So they wanted to take advantage of technologies like safe speed, uh, safe direction, that sort of thing in order to, to reduce downtime and not have to do lockout tag out. But where they really came to the cybersecurity realization was one of the things that the OEM wanted to do was remote monitoring of that machine so that they could see when the machine might be going through something that, uh, that required maintenance so that it didn't have excessive downtime or even to do analysis on repairs so they didn't have to put somebody on a plane and fly them out to the, to the site and help reduce downtime that way. Well, that actually made them come to the realization that they were gonna have an outside OEM with real-time monitoring, so a wire into their plant floor on their machine. And where else could they travel on that wire mm-hmm. uh, throughout their organization? Could they go to other machines? Could they get into their financial system? And so it really made them take a look at the risks involved with cybersecurity, with safety, and how they managed all of that risk. I want to dive into the industry comment we made a little earlier, because what, what, what I'm hearing is cybersecurity is industry agnostic. We've talked about financial services. We've talked about retailers, department stores. We're talking specifically about manufacturing today. So as part of that last comment, if virtually every industry could be a target of a cyber attack and cybersecurity needs to be a priority for all these industries, what are the real dangers of you know, say a breach on the plant floor or a lack of security on the plant floor? Yeah, the, I, I think a lot of the attention is given to um, to the, the data in the IT system. And, and that, you know, that's not insignificant. I mean, people stealing 
customer credit card numbers or financial information um, is certainly a big risk. I, I read recently about a one where they they put in a um, a payload into the hack, which allowed them to monitor email systems for financial transactions. And then at the right time, they intercepted it. And it, literally at, at a point where uh, finance said, what's the account number we need to send this to? They intercepted that and gave them a false account number. And they were sitting there looking a couple of weeks later and said, well, they didn't receive this payment. And they didn't even know they'd been hacked until it was too late. But to your point, the real danger on the plant floor is access to the manufacturing assets. Mm -hmm. Someone intent on doing harm, um, they can access intellectual property like recipes, which they could deal if they wanted that information, or what's worse, they could change it. They could um, put an ingredient, you know, an added ingredient in there that um, uh, that changes the quality or uh, the makeup of the chemical or food. Um, or uh, they can change the operational parameters of equipment that can ruin product. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to, because I work in both safety and security, think about changing the operation of equipment and putting workers in danger, or there have been some cases where the environment has been damaged by dumping chemicals or raw sewage into waterways. So more of the fear is centered around accessing information, which I'm not, I'm not stating at all that that's not significant, but accessing physical assets can damage equipment, harm workers, the environment, and reputational risk can't be ignored either. When there's injuries or damage, it makes news. And when there's environmental damage or damage to people outside the plant, it's really big news and it's very costly. So again, managing risks is an easy ROI. It's uh, it's funny you bring some of this up. Well, so, some of this is not funny. These are pretty, uh, I should say, these are very serious uh, issues or threats that you're bringing up in terms of physical damage, environmental damage, et cetera. I, I should say it's coincidental because this morning as I was perusing LinkedIn and getting ready for this interview, I came across uh, one of my colleagues who had posted a blog article titled, Why Cybersecurity Must Be Part of Your Safety Plan. And I noticed your title is Program Manager for Safety and Security. So I want to understand how is why is safety such an integral part of this as well? Because one of the quotes from that article I read was, a cyber attack on your industrial control system can damage physical assets, alter recipes, injure workers, and cause severe environmental damage. So you really nailed, I mean, that you, you, you hit a lot of those things that, uh, that I came across in that article, but let's focus specifically on safety right here. What are the safety risks and why is cybersecurity discussed as a safety risk? Well, first off, thanks for reading the blog. I appreciate that. Um, the, uh, the safety risks are actually pretty serious when you think about somebody having access to your equipment. You know, as, as I mentioned, um, there's intellectual property and information and, and often the most vulnerable part of an industrial control system is the HMI where a lot of that information is stored mm -hmm. or where the operation of the machine can be changed from. But you think about uh, somebody attacking a, a, a physical asset, a machine, uh, say they want to suddenly change the direction of a motor and it has some real mass attached to it. You can do serious damage to, uh, you can overpressurize systems. Um, you can change the operation of a robot and anybody around that piece of equipment, whatever it is that's changing and not operating as it's predicted, is put in danger. Uh, you know, it's also important in other ways. Often the safety system itself has to be compromised in order to allow equipment to operate outside of safe tolerances. That's uh, one of the things that happened with Stuxnet, uh, even though that was an incredibly sophisticated attack. 
um, it had to override the safety parameters in order to allow, in that case, the centrifuges to, to increase just slightly above the, the parameters that were set. So um, we're also seeing, you know, one other aspect is we're also seeing a kind of a convergence between safety standards and security standards. The language is very clear in safety standards that cybersecurity risks have to be considered as part of an assessment. If access to a machine can, uh, if unauthorized access to a machine can cause a safety risk, then that has to be uh, accounted for in the assessment. And likewise, cybersecurity standards are, are considering safety risks as a critical element of a security assessment. So they are really effectively uh, playing off of each other and using very similar language in how they assess risk and literally referencing each other in uh, as part of that process. Yeah, and, and having worked in the industrial controls world for a while, you know, I, I I had I guess started my career ten years ago. They were often addressed separately, like security assessments were a thing, safety assessments were a thing. But the convergence between safety and security standards is uh, is certainly a trend that that I've witnessed a little bit. And I I, I want to make sure I also give credit where credit is due. That blog post I mentioned was written by Steve, so I will. Link up to that. I will make sure to link up to that in our resources page at manufacturinghappyhour.com/cybersecurity. You'll be able to find all of that there. We're covering a lot of ground. I'm going to go back to something else you brought up earlier. You brought up IP. You uh, talked about intellectual property in terms of recipes. You know, we've covered how financial transactions can be at risk. Safety is a risk. Um, but let's dive into IP a little bit more now. How is a company's IP specifically at risk when it comes to cybersecurity? Yeah, the, the the example that I that I used earlier about um, you know being able to change recipes and whether you're particularly if you're a a chemical company or you're producing food or even if you think and it's it's not generally called a recipe but if you think about um, wastewater treatment as an example um, if if they can change. Uh, the makeup of what you're putting out to the next step in your process, whether that is wastewater and you're putting it back into a waterway that's supposed to be clean water. And now they've inserted uh, 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 something in the programming that makes it not so clean or you're you're uh, you know, you're damaging um, the waterway and everything that that lives in it or or uh, takes water from it, for example. Depending on their motivation, they can steal recipes or information to use for themselves, or they can change the recipe without the victim even knowing it and alter the food or chemical being produced. So if you're a, um, a food or beverage maker, imagine somebody changing your recipe and you not knowing about it and adding, even if it's something as, as mundane as adding extra salt to something to ruin the flavor of it, and suddenly you have to do a recall and all of those sorts of things. So there's mild to uh, to dangerous elements of uh, somebody getting in and being able to do that sort of thing. Absolutely. And and I like that spectrum you presented. You know, I'm thinking about this in the context of manufacturing happy hour. God forbid someone changed the hop concentration <laughs> here at a brewery. Yeah, like you said, it could be a mild example like that where there is a, a recall of a particular product or worse, where it comes more in the medical space right now is where I see a real mm -hmm. threat of that taking place. So excellent examples across the board. As we get towards the end of this conversation, 
one thing that's on my mind is, you know, we've we've covered a broad range of scenarios and a broad range of things that are at risk. So where in the world are all these threats coming from? You know, it, I think people often think of this ominous hooded figure, you know, at home hacking on their computer into these systems. But what what's the real threat, Steve? Yeah, most attacks aren't the the big state-sponsored terrorist kind of attacks. Over 40% of them come from insiders, the proverbial disgruntled employee or an employee that's allowed access to something they shouldn't. Um, you know, I, I was uh, I was thinking about earlier that one of the uh, the stories I often tell there it happened in Australia. There was a um, a contractor for for a municipality who uh, was working on a, uh, a waste treatment system. And they had, uh, I think it was like 27 pumping stations or some odd number like that. But he was responsible for uh, the control stations for, for those pumping stations. He wanted a job with the municipality and was turned down and he got very upset about it. Mm. Well, they had never, when the contract ended, um, changed the password system. So he still had access, still had his equipment. And in retribution for not being employed, he started arbitrarily operating these pumping stations and dumping sewage into waterways and, and even dumped some into, as I recall the story, a, a hotel lobby. Oh. Um, so it was it was a big mess. It was an environmental issue. And uh, and it was just done because he was upset that he didn't get the job. So over 40 percent of those attacks are from insiders. And that includes people who. Uh, probably should not be in a certain area of your system, but are because passwords don't lock them out. Mm -hmm. We also see attacks, you know, outside of that from cyber criminals that are out to steal money, credit card information, or interrupt financial transactions, and a little bit from hacktivists that may have an agenda or that out to are out to prove a point. Um, the hacktivists will usually make their presence known uh, because they want to, to make that political point and make the news story. Whereas a lot of the cyber criminals, you know, you don't know until after they've already done their deed uh, that they've actually been there. So, uh, the terrorist and nation state kind of attacks aren't high in numbers. Now they can obviously be catastrophic when they happen and they do tend to be targeted, um, because yeah, they're not, uh, those who created aren't going to spend that kind of time and, and money and resources unless they have a very specific target in mind. So. So kind of going from most extreme, but least frequent, you've got terrorist and nation state attacks. You know, you mentioned hacktivists. That's a new term I learned today. I'm excited that, that <laughs> that's in my dictionary now. Cyber criminals. But I think the big stat you brought up uh, a couple times was 40% of attacks are insiders. So for anyone that's listening that ever wonders why they have to change their password every three months, six months, whatever it is, that makes a lot more sense when you're putting it in the context of situations like this, particularly when you're employed by a large company that that has those policies. We have a lot of manufacturing leaders that listen to this show, and I'm sure some of them have uh, responsibility for security. Some, some might not, but let's give some actionable advice as we wrap things up. What steps can a manufacturer take to protect themselves from these plethora of threats, whether it's insiders, hackers, nation states? seems to be a lot you need to defend yourself from. Yeah, and, and there's a lot that can be done. And it seems like a, it's a, a, a huge effort that's required to get cybersecurity. But just like in safety, it's, it's about determining what your, your level of acceptable risk is. Are you an infrastructure company, like a power company, that could be targeted? Or do you make cameras or something that if something happens to it, yes, you're going to ruin some product? 
but you don't expect to be a target. So first understand that cybersecurity is not a project, it's a process. Um, attacks get more sophisticated, defenses respond. We are, as a company, are constantly going out and trying to find vulnerabilities in our own products. And in fact, we took part in um, what's called pwn to own. Um, speaking of terms that I learned, pwn, PWN, <laughs> apparently when you take control of something. So pwn to own is a contest that takes part in different locations and they actually try to find vulnerabilities in widely used devices that have not been attacked before. Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, Tesla automobiles have been a, a target. This past year in Miami, in January, actually, they did their first attempt on industrial control systems, and we took part in that process. And actually, it was interesting because we got, a, we got some raised eyebrows about why we were putting ourselves in that position. But from our standpoint, it's really important to discover vulnerabilities so that we can patch them up and make sure that they that our customers are not put at risk. So we do a lot of testing on our end to begin with, mm -hmm. but um, but taking part in in those kind of contests and um, and working with researchers that's the formal name for for white hat hackers um, is part of that. So, but coming back to your question, yeah, deploying a defense in depth approach is a solid start. It's a, a layered approach that uses a number of methods. Um, it, from policies and procedures and awareness of employees uh, into network, computer application and data protection. It's always been likened, <clears throat> excuse me, to a uh, the, the medieval castle mm. where you've got the moat around the outside that they've got to get across to get to the wall, which they then have to climb. And while they're, they're getting across the moat and they're trying to climb the wall, you've got the the defenders at the top of the wall that are pouring melted tar and shooting arrows down at you. So, and if you are there, if you do breach the wall, then you, the defenders go down the spiral staircases, which are, if I've got this correct, they go clockwise so that the, uh, the defenders can have the sword in their right hand while the, uh, the attackers have to use a sword in their left hand. Oh. And so it's layer after layer of well thought out defenses that um, ideally you keep, uh, at some layer, you're going to stop um, the attackers. So that's one of the things that, that happens, and that's a multi-layered approach. The other thing is um, there's a, a, a framework that's put out by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST. It's known as the NIST framework, which is an ongoing process for identifying threats, protecting from those threats, detecting them when they occur, responding and recovering from any attacks. So those are sort of the larger philosophical ways to go about things. But there, there is such a thing as we tend to call it security essentials or fundamentals, but the, the most widely used term is cybersecurity hygiene. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't like the word hygiene. It just sounds kind of yuck. But companies should do some very basic things like use equipment built with security in mind that adheres to security standards like uh, ISA IEC 62443. Um, network design and segmentation to help isolate critical assets from general IT infrastructure. One of the, the ones that, that I think about a lot is inventory of hardware and software assets to ensure that they're patched and up to date. If you've got a plant or a mill that's been around for a long time, it may have, you know, and, and control systems run for decades. So you may have very old control systems and you may not have ever gone and done an inventory or understand what revision of software is there because very often with control systems, 
they just keep on running. And as long as there's not a problem, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But uh, having a, uh, an inventory of hardware and what revision level they're at is one part of that. And then upgrading existing machinery to equip them with better protection is another aspect. And uh, you know, going back to that defense in depth, training people to recognize threats like phishing emails that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. is another key part of that. So there's a lot of different things that companies can do. Um, one of them is instituting that the, the cyber cybersecurity hygiene or essentials practices that I was mentioning yep. and understanding, doing an assessment of where their vulnerabilities are and then trying to mitigate those risks to the level that they're comfortable with, depending on industry and uh, where they see threats coming from. You brought up a lot of great points there. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to highlight a couple things. We mentioned at the start that this is part of a cybersecurity mini-series. Some of the things you threw out there, like the NIST framework, N-I-S-T, as well as uh, ISA 62443. If these sound nebulous right now for those listening, don't worry. We're actually going to do a couple episodes that dive into each of those a little bit more. But looking at cybersecurity is a project, not a process, taking that multi-layered approach. And then I think the last thing you brought up is critically important is making sure people are trained to recognize mm-hmm. these type of things for any manufacturing leader out there. These are all things that you should have in mind. As we wrap things up, I want to ask you a personal question around cybersecurity. You've had a long, illustrious career at Rockwell Automation. You've been doing this for over 20 years. You've been in the industry for longer than that. What do you find exciting and fulfilling about working in cybersecurity right now? You know, I, I really enjoy, and, and, and this kind of goes into safety as well. They are fairly complex topics. There's a lot of standards that you just, some of them you just mentioned that, that float around. But I think one of the things that I, I really enjoy is there's a bit of a, a calling to it. I, I'm going to borrow from a, an EHS uh, group that I was involved with, and they said, you know, things like safety and security, they they aren't professions as much as they are callings. Mm. And people in the communities associated with them, they tend to share a lot of information because an attack on one of us or a safety risk for one of us is it applies to everyone. Nobody wants to see people getting attacked or people getting hurt. So there's a lot more uh, collaboration between organizations around those topics and a lot more openness about how to identify and mitigate those risks. Um, You know, part of that, you know, one example of that is that Rockwell Automation is a founding member of the ISA Global Cybersecurity Alliance. And we're in there with competitors like Honeywell and Schneider for this very reason that we see that the there an attack by uh, some of these groups or by by hacktivists or uh, in any way that endangers our customers or people frankly is something that we should all be fighting against and it's it's good to share information in an ethical way to make sure that uh, that people are kept safe and secure and that their information is uh, kept safe and secure Love it. Love the collaboration. Love the line about being a calling, not a profession. 
It's been great having you on the show today, Steve. You covered a lot of ground, covered a lot of great topics, and, and most importantly, you had a lot of good examples to illustrate those. So for all the manufacturing leaders out there listening to this episode, I hope you took something away from it. If you have someone in your organization, probably an IT manager, maybe your CISO, make sure to send this episode to them after you get done listening. And in the meantime, Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to be on today's show. I appreciate it, Chris, and thanks to all those who took time to listen. And for those of you out there, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again here on Manufacturing Happy Hour next time. Hey, thanks so much for listening. And a big thanks to Steve and the Rockwell Automation Cybersecurity Leaders for making this mini-series possible. Steve and I got to chatting about doing a series like this a number of months ago and deserves a lot of credit for pulling this whole thing together. Steve, if you're listening, I'm glad the series is finally becoming a reality. These cybersecurity conversations will be covering a lot of detail, so if anything piqued your interest, head on over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash cybersecurity for links to all resources mentioned in the show. As a call to action, make sure to tune in for the upcoming episodes. This is just the first one, but we still have three to go. Today we addressed why cybersecurity is important, and in our next episode, we'll be diving into more actionable security fundamentals. From there, we'll go into defense in depth, the NIST framework, and implementation in our third episode. Then finally, we'll wrap up with an episode on security standards with specific focus around IEC 62443. Now, I gave you the heads up during the intro that these episodes probably aren't for everyone. But if you've made it this far, chances are you're interested in cybersecurity or it impacts your business in some way, shape, or form. There are people you know that also have some focus around cybersecurity. The most important thing you can do is forward this podcast to your company's IT manager or chief information and security officer. That's my call to action for you this week. Before we wrap up, I do want to make sure I mention one important footnote. This entire mini-series is being brought to you by Rockwell Automation's cybersecurity team. And full disclosure, Rockwell Automation is where I spend my daytime hours. But please note that Manufacturing Happy Hour is not an official Rockwell podcast series. I just love the company and know they have a tremendous amount of experience in this space. And with that, I look forward to having you back here for the upcoming episodes in this mini-series. But in the meantime, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll talk to you again real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.